Thank God it's Friday, gonna cast out a line. The happy afternoon, sun is flying oh so high. I'm a peaceful kind of guy, most usually. But I'm hunting all the fishes in the deep blue sea. Making sure my bait is all nice and stinky. Gonna add a little, let it make the bait go sinky. We can wait another day to do the patchwork laundry. Cause now we go and The weekend is here, and one week from this weekend, we'll be fishing for walleye. We'll be getting you ready for that all of next week. But a great conversation today with one of my favorite people, and I think one of the North Country's favorite people, Chip Lear, who was recently inducted into the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. I know uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago, Chip. What, What an honor that is for you. It is truly humbling, Kevin. There's there's no doubt about that. It you, you get this letter in the mail and, you, and you're kind of in shock at first, and then it, it's followed up with uh, with some with some phone calls and emails and texts from from all the uh, all your fishing heroes, right? So I mean, everybody I grew up with and and everybody I've aspired and, and tried to mimic my career after is is suddenly calling you up, telling you you know great job. And I think the most surprising thing is just actually how many people were paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know anybody even knew who I was. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chip, obviously they were. Uh, what are the criteria? What What is it that uh, gets a person into the Hall of Fame? Well, I I don't know all the ins and outs of the the process. I do know from talking to uh, from the director Emmett Brown that, that they're you know they somebody puts in an application on your behalf, which I did not even know I was in the pile. And uh, there's a there's a committee of I believe about twelve people who review. Um, everybody in the hopper, and, and you're in that hopper for a couple of years, and then you get uh, kicked out and must be resubmitted. But um, I did find out that I'd, I'd been in there, and I was on my second round. I'd, I, so it was two years, two years inside that hopper, and, and I got voted in. So, and it, interestingly enough, uh, of of the committee, there's only I think that I, I knew two of the twelve people on this committee, but it's a it's a nationwide committee, a lot of saltwater guys and a lot of guys from all over the country that are analyzing who's doing what inside the fishing industry and, and who's making uh, who's making a difference. And that's that's one of the reasons it's really humbling is to um kind of have your have your your work picked apart, so to speak. I'm not on the radio every day where people are picking apart your work, right? <laughs> Constantly. <yes>. Exactly. <laughs> uh so it was uh it was it, it's uh, it's it's a neat process and it's pretty humbling. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, all the things you're involved in because you do wear a lot of hats and you have worn a lot of hats over the years. But let's let's go back to the beginning. Uh, where do you come from and how did you make it up here? Let's just start at the beginning. Yeah, I born and raised Minneapolis uh, in the heart of the city, right? Right, uh, just a couple blocks south of uh, of Lake Harriet, and that's that was my roots. But my real fishing roots, uh, Kevin. Uh, took place right here in Bemidji, Minnesota, Cass Lake, Minnesota. My mom is a graduate, Cass Lake High School, um, and I've had uh, family and, and aunts and uncles that lived lived here in Bemidji, and I was the youngest of, of five boys, and the interestingly enough, uh, my mom and dad got tired being, and, and by the time the fifth kid comes around. That was me. <laughs> so I got, uh, I got thrown on a bus, and uh, I would get dropped off in, in Cass Lake, and I had an uncle. Uh, who had a cabin on on Wolf Lake, on Little Wolf actually, and so I would spend uh, a couple weeks of the summer uh, with him, and we would we would fish every single morning, 
um, over there on that whole Cass Lake chain of lakes there. And then I had another aunt and uncle that uh, lived over here just off of uh, Bemidji. I'm, I'm just on Birchmont Road right across from the old Blue Ox Resort. Oh, Anybody yes. Anybody remembers the yep. Blue Ox Resort? And I used to uh, – uh, they had a deal with the, with the resort there that I could walk across the street and I'd, they'd grab a boat and I could row out to the end of the pencil reeds there throw, and I'd throw over an anchor and catch perch all day long. They also had a, a cabin on uh, – uh, on an island on Lake of the Woods. So between Lake of the Woods, Lake Bemidji, and Little Wolf, that's uh, that's really where my my passion for fishing was born amongst those fisheries and and right here. And that's that's what brought me back here as an adult was all those memories of, of fishing and living here in this area. One of the things I find really interesting over the number of resorters I've met over the years and fishing guides. Um, certainly there are some that were born and raised in this neck, but it's, it's a lot of them that didn't get to experience it every day that really developed that passion and found their way north eventually. But I think that's true in, in a lot of things that we do in, in life. I think that it, it's good to immerse yourself in it and do it, but sometimes if you get to do it too much or it's too easily accessible, you don't, uh, you've got to, you've got to crave it a little. And that's certainly what I did with, with fishing. I mean, I had my... I really between between all those places, I probably was only up here a few weeks every every summer with with those uncles. But it felt like the entire summer. And then I would go home, and I would uh, my dad would get you know Outdoor Life magazines and any outdoor magazine I'd get my hands on in those days because that was the only information sources really available. And I just devoured them. I, I I would read them from cover to cover. I would rip out and I'd, you know anything that was a free ad that I could send in to get something for free. I, I was doing that. Um, I would go to the uh, the trade shows or the sports shows in those days and just come home with bags and bags and bags of, of literature and brochures and, and what have you. But that was my reading material for basically for the, for the entire winter until I was able to go fishing again. So did you at a young age know this is what I want to do or were you, were you considering other options growing up? And it's just how did it all work out? Um, well, I, I did. I, I actually knew that I wanted to figure out how to make a living fishing. I went to college, went to the University of Minnesota, Duluth, got through, got through school and, and went to work. And I had this plan that I was going to make a whole lot of money and then I was going to retire and go fishing. But after a couple of years of working, I realized it was going to take too long. And I, and I have never been that patient of a person. So I was going to short circuit this. And uh, um, I ended up going fishing, obviously, a lot, a lot sooner. It, it was... Um, one of the things, Kevin, that really influenced my life was my dad passed away when I was in my, my early 20s, and he was always going to retire, and he was always going to retire. So I joke about the fact that I wanted to make a bunch of money and retire and go fishing, but the, the real lesson growing up was that life is short, mm-hmm. and you should do what you're passionate about and do what you love and let the rest fill in around it. Um, and that was the lesson I took from my, my dad's passing. So that's what I did is I just kind of... I said the heck with following, you know, the the tried and true what you're supposed to do career. I'm going to go fishing and see if I can make this work for me. And subsequently, thirty plus years later, I'm still here. Yes, and you came you came up north. I mean, there are plenty of places to go, but this was the place you wanted to be. Well, I moved up to Lake of the Woods. I lived okay. on Oak Island for so, for a number. So you started of years. way up top. We went all the way went all the <laughs> way up there. Well, I found a resorter that gave me a shot. Oh, right? yeah. He said, "I'll I'll hire you. You can work on my dock, and I'll throw you a couple guide trips." 
Um, and uh, so I, I took that opportunity, and I, and I moved up to Oak Island. I was there for a few years. My wife eventually, who was living in Minneapolis, we were boyfriend-girlfriend at that time. But she moved up and went to work for the resort, and then she liked it, got another offer over uh, in, uh, on Cabotogama, Voyages National Park. Subsequently, I, I moved over there, and uh, imagine what girls will make you do, right? <laughs> so moved, o- moved over there and, and guided uh, both waters. I did Rainy, I did Cabotogama, I was doing Namakin, Lake of the Woods. I, I did that whole region for a lot of years. Um, eventually, you know, one thing led to another, got connected with Reed Sporting Goods in, in, in Walker, Minnesota, and Jeff Arnold, and had an opportunity to come down here and, and do a little bit more uh, work closer aligned with the fishing industry uh, through him, and uh, eventually found myself down here. So what what did you do for for Jeff? Um, well, I did a lot of sports show work for him, and then he knew that my wife and I had this passion of wanting to have our own resort facility. And this in the early days, it was all about it was all about guiding and resorts and lodging and the early parts of my career. And uh, and he he had this idea that we could take our resort idea and make it a reality. Um, in Walker, Minnesota, and, and we attend, attempted to come down here and do that. He had a house that he was going to let us use, and we were basically going to come up with this bed and breakfast concept mm. um, to per, and, and, and fully guide people staying in, in there. But unfortunately, it ended up inside the city limits, and the city wouldn't let us turn this into a, uh, a commercial operation, and it was a, a residential home. So long story short, we bid off way more than we could chew and ended, ended up uh, buying the old Big Leach Resort out on Pine Point um, with the Arnolds and uh, turned it into Adventure North Resort. My wife and I worked at the resort there for for a number of years before we eventually turned it on and went to the, the next stage of life, right? You, you don't know what, 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 uh, what's going to happen. You just kind of evolve and push your way through and, and come out the other end. Okay. So and eventually you got to the point where you're uh, this multimedia television superstar. I don't know about that. <laughs> I, uh, you, you do what you can do to, to figure out a way to make a living. I've always been a big fan of fishing, and that's what I think that's. And I've always been very passionate about fishing. And I think that's what worked for for me, especially early days of, of doing a lot of the TV work in the in the mid '90s. Was that I was very passionate, and I think that passion showed through. Subsequently. It uh, it worked for for me booking fishing trips, working as a guide at that time. I was also um, trying to show people off bodies of water and, and lakes, and got hired by uh, different resorts to shoot uh, segments for for fishing. I got hired by Canadian provinces to go up and, and shoot segments for for fishing and make tourism videos, and then that led to how-to videos with fishing companies. Um, and tackle companies, and rod companies, and reel companies, and all, and just one thing kind of led to another, and um, you just kind of work your way, work your way through it. It was, uh, but it all comes back to you got to. I've always loved to fish and everything around it. It's and as long as I'm doing that, I'm a pretty happy guy. <laughs> well, and, and you have certainly been doing a lot of that over the years, no question about it. Well, thank you very much. It's been it's certainly been a lot of fun, I, and I still got a lot to learn. Right? I mean, there's there's uh, it never really ends this whole process. I, the discovery part of fishing is what I what what excites me most. It was um, it's also what kind of pushed me from when I first started, you know, guiding and taking people fishing and getting to fish all the time was really exciting. But I also um, I think I've enjoyed the business side of fishing even more so, which I didn't know that I would or could, but the whole 
experimentation end of it and trying to figure out how to get reactions out of fish when uh, by by trying something different or new and uh, that's what that's what fishing inside the on the business side allows you to do is to get out there and and push the outer limits and you know push tackle and experimentation and try to get fish to uh, to respond to things is really really intriguing <laughs> Much more to cover with Chip Lear next. You're listening to Fish and Ball Bunyan Country, where all the cool kids hang out. And Kev Jackson, too. This is Fish and Ball Bunyan Country. And welcome back. My guest today is Chip Lear, one of the greats in the game. He is a National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame Class of 2019 inductee. And we're finding out the journey that got him there. Obviously, you are an extrovert, and uh, or you come off as an extrovert anyway. And, and you've done a, a great job, you know, being on the stage for big tournaments, uh, things of that nature. And, of course, like we, we mentioned, the TV and the, and the uh, YouTube work and things like that. Um, not everybody can do that. Well, it's it comes from being the youngest of five boys, and if I wanted if I if 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 I wanted attention, I had to stand on the table and get it. So <laughs> that part has uh, that part has worked worked well for me. So no, I don't mind I don't mind making a little noise. I don't mind uh, um, drawing drawing attention. But it's also it 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 really is me. And my excitement and trying to share with everybody what I learned about fishing. And that's what I love most about being a tournament MC for the National Walleye Tour is I get firsthand to interview what I believe are the most innovative and best walleye anglers in all of North America on the same stage and get to pick their brains and find out what, where, how, and when they made adjustments to catch more fish than the other great anglers that are out there, and they're doing it in, in real time in a tournament situation. And that's what I love about tournament fishing is it's, it's real drama played out on a stage um, where these guys got to make a decision, and, uh, and obviously the winner gets, gets a big, big, big reward. Um, but it's, it also makes us all better fishermen by learning how they make decisions and one of the other cool things I imagine for you is to you get to go to a lot of uh, waters that you may not have stopped by otherwise and check them out at least once in your lifetime. Well, you know, there's a, there's a lot of great fishing all across North America. There really is, and I and and the and the fishing opportunities that we have are seemingly endless, and it, it's really fun to get to experience as many of them. It also, Kevin, really helps me appreciate what we have here because there's, there's nowhere we have the density of lakes that we have in this part of the world, nor do we have um, fish as willing to bite is throughout an entire season like we have here. There's so much, you know, everybody thinks about Lake Erie and how awesome it is. And geez, it'd be great to go there and there's all these big fish. But my gosh, if if, if you look at the migration patterns of these walleyes um, over an entire season, they're moving hundreds of miles up and down a shoreline. Um, and if you want to stay on the bite uh, there, you're going to have to travel quite a bit. And we, what do we do? We hop from one lake on one side of the road to another lake on the other <laughs> side of the road. It's, it's not that hard to keep up with the fish in this part of the world, and that's one of the things that we really like about it. 
You know, one of the other great things uh, a lot of people seem to really like is just the variety. It's, you know, I mean, you're on Lake Erie. I know there's other fish in there, but it's pretty much about walleyes. It um, is. It's a growing bass fishery. Um, mm-hmm. There's certainly some good, some excellent musky fishing out there. Um, and there's, and that's true for, for a lot of, a lot of fisheries, but we are, we are fishing. We are, uh, you know, we're all, we're all about fish here. There's, yeah. there's no doubt about that. And, and like you say, you can hop across the lake, not just to get on another lake, but, uh, you know, to go bass fishing or pan fishing or, and it's just a hop, you know, like you say, across the, across the road maybe. And I think that's what makes us all better anglers. I think that's why the core, the core angler, especially in the Bemidji area here is so strong and so good is because they do multi-species fish, and they do jump from panfish to bass to walleye, and that's what makes anglers really strong uh, anglers and, and good decision makers at the time and place. And I think you see that on the on the tournament trail. The anglers that are that are well versed in multiple species and in multiple bodies of water tend to roll with the punches um, when the bite gets hot and cold, and they can make decisions make decisions better. And that comes from a uh, um, you know, a, a, a good base of information. I mean, you see the same thing take place in in sports. If uh, if a kid grows up playing hockey and plays a lot of unstructured hockey and a lot of playtime hockey and works a lot on their skills growing up, when it comes to game time as they get a little bit older, they tend to be better skaters, faster skaters, and they can adjust on the fly more because they're, they, they're used to uh, just, you know, playing pond hockey out right. back. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about how fishing the wild side came about. Uh, fishing the wild side was was is is pretty simple and straightforward. It it was developed from a, because we needed a platform to talk from. I had uh, in the in the '90s I'd started to do a lot of promotional work and product development with with a few of the ice fishing companies, and uh, was was going to a lot of ice fishing tournaments, was going to a lot of sports shows, going to a lot of out of retail stores and, and doing a fair amount of, of education. And it was became this on ice tour, um, which seemed to seem to go along and was, was working real well, but at the same time needed to get it into open water. And I had connected at that time, I'd connected with a tournament angler named Tommy Scarless, who was originally from, from Iowa. And him and I uh, kind of came up with a, a, a duo between tournament angler and, and guide and we did an educational and promotional series, and we needed a name. And that uh, we just came up with the name driving down the highway one day. It really meant absolutely. I think it was originally Wildside Diversified. I think that's what it was. But I that remember meant, that, actually. But that meant, that, that meant absolutely nothing. So then we, <laughs> so we were like, well, we've got to get fishing in there somewhere. So we came up with Fishing the Wildside, then it was Fishing the Wildside on Ice, and then that. So that's what we named our magazines. That's what we named the television programs because we had a couple of them over the years, and okay. it just kind of rolled from there. Yeah. Uh, and what's Tommy, Tommy doing these days? Tommy's still, well, Tommy's an incredible uh, tournament angler, one of, the, one of the best, if not the best, walleye tournament angler uh, ever. I mean, I, he, he's continuing to win. I think his last two years he's won the World Walleye Championships on the MWC side, still very competitive on the National Walleye Tour, always up there in the World Walleye Rankings. Um, but he's also now, you talk about pushing limits, he's also fishing a crappie tour all winter. So he's traveling across wow. the southern U.S., become national crappie champion um, once or if not twice in the last few years. I lose track of him. But he's, he's a very accomplished uh, a, a crappie tournament angler and has, has innovated the industry, really, because he's, he's brought trolling tactics to crappie tournament fishing, which used to be done solely with spider rod systems in the bows of boats. So I got a lot of... 
uh, he, he's and, and that's what makes fishing fishing, right? Yeah. You're taking you're taking one technique from one part of the world and you're bringing it somewhere else and showing how it can work. And uh, obviously, it's working well for him. Wow. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Northland Tackle. You obviously have had a long relationship with Northland Tackle to the point now that you are actually on the staff. Um, yeah, Northland Fish and Tackle has been incredibly good to me. John and Dwayne Peterson are two of my very closest friends. Uh, and, and in fact, it was my very first relationship with a manufacturer was, was with John. And I had started a, as a fishing guide on Lake of the Woods. I sent John a letter and, and told him how much I, I, I liked his product when really all I was after was a discount. But anyway, that's, <laughs> nobody needs to know. <laughs> so, but I told him how great the product was. I was using the product and, and I wanted to, uh, so I shared some pictures with him, and he he sent me a cap and a handful of jigs, and this was a lot of a lot of years ago. And eventually, we we got to meet and and uh, shared a lot of information. But they've been they've been really good friends, and more most specifically, great mentors in the in the industry, and have helped uh, guide me through my entire career. If it wasn't for those two guys, I have no idea where I would have ended up because they have. Uh, um, I consider myself incredibly lucky to have uh, found them as, as friends and, uh, and been blessed with some advice and direction from them. Well, obviously, uh, Northland Fishing Tackle has changed over the years, and John and Dwayne are more or less retired, not spending as much time there as they used to. But that uh, spirit of uh, innovation continues there. Without a doubt. That's what, it's a very committed group of, of anglers inside that, uh, that front office that help innovate and drive, drive the industry. And that's what uh, has always made Northland Northland. And and it can, will continue that way for for a lot of years to come. I mean, they're they're very uh, uh, where, where John did things with a with with very much a, a, a shotgun approach, so to speak. So he was coming at you from a lot of different directions and a lot of new products and a lot of expansion. But the company was young and evolving and changing at that time, and the industry was much different than it was that is today. Now you come into a, uh, your Northland mimics really the way the industry is, which is if you're going to come out with something, you're going to come out with one thing. It's got to have you know it's got to have have a lot of muscle and meat behind it. You got to have some marketing support behind it, and there's not near as much shelf space available, um, and it's a lot more competitive for the little bit of shelf space that is out there. So you, yeah. they uh, a much more targeted approach, but they're doing a, a very good job, and I'm really excited about some of the stuff that's that's coming. I mean, that's. Uh, one of the neatest things I, I get to do with Northland Fish and Tackle is be a part of the design and innovation process with all with with, the, with not all but a lot of the new products, and I get to I get to play with them. I get to have some ideas and some discussions and watch concepts become reality. Um, and that uh, as a as a human being and as a fisherman, that is that's really really fun. I mean, you talk about feeling like a kid every day. It's when you talk about toys. And then watch toys get built, and then you get to go test toys, and then decide if you if the toys are gonna are gonna work. And it's uh, it, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Well, you've got the inside track. What do we need to be watching for this upcoming year? This coming season, I'm really excited about. It is it's been overlooked and very simple, but in this part of the world, the fireball jigs have ruled the roost, right? Yeah. You know, so we got the fireball and we got the stand up fireball, and and that's it's pretty much almost all that I fish with for. The first six seven weeks of the uh, of the walleye fishing season. Well, they've taken that and now they've made a long shank fireball and a long shank stand up fireball. So we're so used to the short shank 
hook of the fireball and the stand-up fireball and the fact that it brings the head of the minnow closer to the to the the heavy weight of the jig and, and the minnow goes right out or that the hook goes right out the skull for easy hookup. Now in our world where we love to fish, especially with shiner minnows, and we want that hook way back at the dorsal fin of the minnow, you're able to do that with these long shank fireball jigs. So you can go in the mouth, out the gills, through the belly, out the back. So it's resolves a lot of the issues if uh, that we get, especially with shiner minnows or fishing with larger shiner minnows where you bring up and you've got one that's bit in half or you see the teeth marks of a fish where it grabbed a hold and maybe maybe spit it out. Now you're going to have a hook inside that fish's mouth and it's definitely going to put more hookups and give you more opportunity to get more fish to the boat. Okay. And that I am all in favor <laughs> all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I tell you what, the fireball jig is just so... So good. I mean, it's just so basically good. I mean, it reminds me of Coke. You know, they made Coke. They tried a new version of Coke. It didn't work. But then they made a diet version, and that worked. And they made a Coke Zero, and that worked. But it was still Coke. And it's up to me is what the fireball is. It just, it works, and we do a little bit for, different for this, and we do a little bit different for that, but it's still the fireball jig. Well, and, and those core colors of the fireball are still incredibly effective. I love all the UV additions and all these different uh, tendencies that have come in terms of color and change. And, and a lot of that really is, is, is marketing preference, right? I mean, mm-hmm. do I think that the fish care? Sometimes, yeah, but most of it, a lot of it is, is, is all about anglers and, and keeping up to date with local trends. I mean, why do you want a new shirt? You want a new shirt because it's a new shirt. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, that's all part of it. This, where the long shank really comes into play as, from an angling standpoint, is is it's going to resolve a lot of those short strikes. And I think that if, if it's going to give you more hookups, that could become a mainstay. Now, I don't think it's going to take away the short shank fireball. And this was a big discussion that, that, that took place. Um, I don't think it's going to take away from that because there's certain things that that short shank jig provides in, in terms of natural minnow action where the long shank may take away a little bit of the natural flutter and flow. Like when you when you have a short shank jig and, the, and it only goes in and, and right out the top of that head, as that jig falls, you're going to get a little bit of movement from side to side with, from the middle and the tail of that minnow. Now you put a longer shank jig and go in the, in the mouth, out the gill, through the belly and the back, you actually firm up the action of the uh, of that live bait a little bit so it doesn't become quite as, as pliable. But at the same token, these, uh, especially shiner minnows, are long enough. You're still going to get some tail action, but most importantly, when the fish grabs it, which a lot of our, our early season strikes are reaction strikes from, from snapping it, if they grab a hold of it, you're going to have a hook in their mouth for sure, which is going to put more fish in the boat. So watch for that. Yeah, don't and load up. Load up. <laughs> load up. You're going to want them. Chip Lear, my guest today, one of the most recent inductees into the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. Chip, well-deserved. I'm so glad you're going in. Uh, you really do deserve it. So uh, congratulations. Thank you, Kevin. Fish hail, Bob Barn hail, country, country.